Thank you for joining us again. This will be our next podcast on the end times. This one will be entitled A Glimpse of the Tribulation. It will be in Matthew chapter 24 again. We'll look at verses 9 to 26. But first, let's review the golden rule of Bible prophecy. When the plain sense of Scripture makes common sense, seek no other sense, but take every word at its primary literal meaning unless the facts of the immediate context clearly indicate otherwise. But first, let me take just a few moments to talk about our church. We had a great, great Sunday at our church. We were back in the book of Hebrews in the Sunday morning service, and we had a great, great Sunday morning service. I, I love the, the, just the spirit, and I loved uh, seeing all of our people there Sunday morning. Our Sunday evening service was just fantastic. We had what we called our first Sunday sing. The first Sunday night of every month, we just sing. We just take turns singing. If you want to sing, you sing. We have a men's call up, a ladies call up. The children can sing. We can have different couples sing, just different groups of people sing. It's just a great time. And then we close that out with some praise last night. And it was just a fantastic, fantastic Sunday. And we just uh, we just love our church, love our church family. And if you're in the Palm Coast area, and you don't have a good church, I'd like to invite you to come on out and be a part of, of what God is doing at New Beginning Baptist Church. Uh, you can find information about uh, where we meet and our service times at our website, that is newbeginningbaptist.church, and we'd love to have you come on out and experience what what the Lord is doing in our church. Uh, we just love our church and love what the Lord is doing there. All right, let's get back to our our podcast on the end times. We are studying the Olivet Discourse. It's found in Matthew chapter 24 and 25. And in that discourse, uh, the disciples had asked the Lord Jesus some questions. And in those questions, uh, the Lord Jesus decided to, in his wisdom to answer a couple of questions that were not answered. And as we try to combine these questions, we also have to reference Luke chapter 21. And so, after all that, we've come up with five questions that were that are answered by the Lord Jesus. We have what we call bonus question A, what are not the signs of Jesus coming? That was answered in Matthew 24, 5 to 6. Then we have question number one, when will the temple destruction happen? That was answered in Luke 21, 20 to 24. And then 1A, what are the signs of the temple's coming destruction? It's answered in Luke 21, 12 to 19. And then question number two, what will be the sign of your coming? That is answered in Matthew 24, 9 to 44. And we'll be looking at part of that question today. And then question number three, what will be the signs of the end of the age? That's answered in Matthew 24, 7 to 8. And then bonus question B, what are the duties of a faithful servant as he anticipates Jesus' return? And that's answered in Matthew 24, 45 to 51. And virtually everything Jesus says from this point forward in chapter 24 and chapter 25 of Matthew will be in response to these questions. So we'll spend several weeks, as we have already, studying this discourse in Matthew 24 and Matthew 25. And these questions are serving as our outline for this study. But we need to keep in mind there is a quirk of the Olivet Discourse. We've mentioned this a few times on previous podcasts. Jesus does not answer these questions in the same order they are asked. 
Instead, Jesus gives his answers in an order which better suited his purpose in revealing these things to his disciples and to us. The order Jesus answers these questions in will be bonus question A, what are not the signs of Jesus' coming? Question number three, what will be the signs of the end of the age? Question number one, when will the temple destruction happen? Question 1A, what are the signs of the temple's coming destruction? Question 2, what will be the sign of your coming? And then bonus question answer B, what are the duties of a faithful servant as he anticipates Jesus' return? He answers his first bonus question first, followed by questions 3, 1, 1A, 2, and then his second bonus question is answered last. We also mention that question 2 could be further subdivided into three sections. Uh, Tribulation is discussed in verses 9 to 31. Parable of the fig tree is discussed in verses 32 to 35. As the days of Noah were is discussed in in verses 36 to 44. And then section 1, verses 9 to 31, can also be divided into three divisions. Uh, You have division number A, that is the midpoint of the tribulation. And we know this is the midpoint of the tribulation by the reference of the abomination of desolation. So Jesus lets us know where we're at as far as time goes. And then the next section, we, we've titled that just section B. That is the last three and a half years of the tribulation. That's discussed in verses 21 to 26. And we know this, for Jesus tells us by the use of the phrase, for then shall be great tribulation. So he helps us along. He lets us know by certain words and phrases where we're at in the time of the end times. He helps us along. We just got to see those important words, those important phrases, those transition words, transition phrases. He places us, if we pay attention, he'll, he'll tell you where we're at in the time frame of the end times. And then the last section, section C, the ending of the tribulation, and immediately after the tribulation, that's found in verses 21 to 31, excuse me, verses 27 to 31. And we know this, for Jesus' physical second coming is referenced in verse 27. And verse 29 says, immediately after the tribulation. It's one of those phrases we have to pay attention for. And verse 31 talks of the gathering to Israel of God's chosen people, and that takes place at the end of the tribulation. So far, in our study of Matthew 24 to 25, in our study of the Olivet Discourse, we have looked at the following questions. Bonus question answer A. What are not the signs of Jesus' coming? Question number three, what will be the signs of the end of the age? Question number one, when will the temple destruction happen? Question 1A, what are the signs of the temple's coming destruction? And with this message, with this podcast, we'll be looking at question number two, what will be the sign of your coming? So as we study this, we need to keep in mind the emphasis of the Gospel of Matthew is on the kingdom. It has a Jewish emphasis. It was written with a Jewish audience in mind. Matthew 1.1 shows us a special emphasis of the book of Matthew. Uh, Matthew 1.1 says, The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. The son of David, Jesus Christ, is descended from David, and so inherits the eternal covenant to David's seed, 2 Samuel 7, 4-16, and 1 Chronicles 17, 7-14. God promised David that in the future he would establish David's throne at Jerusalem with David's seed upon that throne forever. The only way that can possibly happen will be for Jesus to come back and reign on David's throne. 
and for that promised millennial reign to be merged into the everlasting reign of God. Isaiah 9, 6-7 says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end, upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it, and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. And then Luke one thirty two to 33 says, He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Jesus, the seed of Abraham, inherits his covenant. The Son of Abraham. To understand this, we must read God's covenant to Abraham in Genesis, chapter 13, chapter 14, and chapter 15. But we'll not be reading all of that now. Uh, For this message, we'll just be reading Genesis 17, verses 6 to 8. And I will make thee exceeding fruitful, and I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee. And I will establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee and their generation for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. And I will give unto thee and to thy seed after thee the land wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Abraham's seed is to inherit all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. The only possession Jews have ever had of Canaan has been temporary, but one day their possession of that land will be eternally established forever. Christ will inherit this land promised to Abraham together with Abraham and others of his seed. Our God is a promise-keeping God. As we study end times, I hope that truth will become more alive to you, more apparent to you. Our God is a promise-keeping God. Look at the lengths our God will go to keep his promises. Look how faithful he is to his word. This is a great truth and principle that should increase and strengthen our faith. God keeps his promises, all of them. Our God is a promise-keeping God. We can be assured that all of his promises will be kept, and because of this principle, our faith can grow Our faith can rest. Our faith can be encouraged. Whatever promise of God that we cling to, that we rely on, that brings us encouragement, whatever the promise, God will keep it. Let your faith be encouraged in that. Now, Matthew is written about Jesus as the king of the Jews. It is written with a Jewish slant or perspective written to demonstrate to other Jews that Jesus is indeed king of the Jews. So with this special perspective of the gospel of Matthew in mind, let us continue with our study of the Olivet Discourse. Now, midpoint of the tribulation, Matthew 24, 9 to 12. Then shall they deliver you up to the afflicted and shall kill you, and ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another, and many false prophets shall rise, and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. 
Persecutions and False Prophets, verses 9 to 12. These verses seem to have a particular reference to a Jewish remnant in the future tribulation. Certainly many saints have died for Christ down through the centuries. Stephen was stoned to death outside of Jerusalem. Many Christians were martyred over the centuries, but the context is referring to the Jewish remnant in the tribulation time period, letting them know or warning them that many of them will be imprisoned, tortured, and killed. We know this as we went over in our previous message by Jesus' use of the word then to start off this section. Jesus gives us key words or transition phrases in this discourse to help us to know and understand what he is discussing and the time frame that he is discussing. And we also noted in the parallel passage in Luke 21 how Jesus paused in his discourse and used the phrase, but before all these things, indicating for us he was going back in time in his narrative in that passage. And in this passage in Matthew 24, he's continuing on into the future with the use of the word then. And then shall many be offended, verse 10. Or many shall cause or be caused to stumble. Many people who profess faith in Christ will fall into sin, will lose courage. Some professing believers during this time will betray other professing believers to persecution. And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. Verse 11. The world has seen its share of false prophets over the years. Mary Baker Eddy, Joseph Smith, Muhammad, and many others like them. But during the Great Tribulation, there will be false prophets even the more. Because iniquity shall abound, verse 12, after Christians are removed from this planet in the rapture, sin will run rampant. Part of the reason for the Tribulation is that through it, sin will be exposed for its grotesqueness, and people will be all the more longing for Jesus' righteous and holy reign on this earth. Yet after 1,000 years of living in a virtual Garden of Eden, during the millennial reign of Christ, those born during that time and raised in that environment will have one last opportunity to choose. Satan will be loosed, and incredibly, it seems, many will choose to follow him. So much for the psychologists and psychiatrists who say the environment we are raised in it's what causes us to be or act a certain way. These humans will be raised in a virtual perfect environment, and they will choose sin. They will choose to follow Satan and instead of Christ. These people will be born and raised under the righteous and holy reign of King Jesus, and they will choose to follow Satan instead of Christ. Men will have a perfect environment for 1,000 years, and yet man will still sin. Man will still rebel against God. Why? Because people are born sinners. The solution, therefore, is not political reformation. The solution is spiritual regeneration. You can try to reform the political system. You can try to change the environment. But those things are not the ultimate solution. Ye must be born again, John 3, 7. That is what man needs. Man must be changed from the inside out. Man must have that new beginning on the inside. And that is what man needs. That's the only answer. The love of many shall wax cold, verse 12. Because of sin, the love of people, both for God and for each other, will grow cold.
Enduring to the end of the tribulation, verse 13, Matthew 24, 13, But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. What does this verse mean? Many over the years have insisted that it meant people would be saved or kept saved by their own enduring, by their holy living. But that interpretation would contradict some of the plainest statements in the Bible. Like, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, so that would rule out the enduring, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast, Ephesians 2, 8-9. Again, it is promised, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word, and believeth on him that sent me, hath everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation but is passed from death unto life, John 5, 24, shall not come into condemnation. We do not have to endure. We have to believe by faith through the grace of God. So clearly one who trusts in Jesus Christ is saved, not by works, not by enduring, but by God's grace. And we cannot lose that salvation once we have it. Salvation is solely on the merits of Jesus Christ. Scripture makes clear that our salvation is solely on the merits of Jesus Christ and his atonement. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19 says, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold from your vain conversation, received by tradition from your fathers, that with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, how could I be saved by enduring to the end and at the same time be saved by the precious blood of Christ. How could I be saved by enduring, yet be saved by grace and without works? The simple answer is you could not. You cannot be saved in both ways. So what is going on here in this passage, Matthew twenty four thirteen again? But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. The word saved here has a different context. Here in Matthew twenty four thirteen, Jesus is not speaking of the redemption of a soul. He speaks rather of the rescue of Jews in the midst of the tribulation. The tribulation is plainly described in verses 15 to 21. And verse 22 says, And except those days should be shortened, referring to the tribulation, there should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. So the word saved in verse 13 And the word saved in verse 22 referred to the same thing, the salvation or rescue of the flesh of the Jewish people during the tribulation. The context interprets verse 13 for us. The context interprets verse 13 for us. In mercy, God will cut short the tribulation. In mercy, he sovereignly decreed in eternity past to shorten the days of the tribulation to save his chosen people. This truth, I am sure, will help some Jewish person greatly tempted in the tribulation and threatened with death as he reads this promise of Jesus, his Messiah. He will be strengthened with joy, strengthened with hope, and strengthened with faith. He will hold on to his faith. He will not renounce his faith. He will not renounce his Savior, his Messiah, and the time will be cut short and he will be rescued by his longed for Messiah, he will be saved by Jesus Christ. Now the gospel preached to all the world, verse 14 of Matthew 24. 
And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. So a few questions. The end of what? The end of the Great Tribulation. And what is the gospel of the kingdom? The same gospel, of course, the gospel Paul defined for us in 1 Corinthians fifteen three to 4 For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. So what gospel? The one and only gospel. There is no other gospel. I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed, as we said before, so say I now again, If any man preach any other gospel unto you than ye have received, let him be accursed. Galatians 1, 6-9 There is only one gospel. Let me repeat that. There is only one gospel. But the gospel will have greater context. It will have kingdom context. In the tribulation time, just before Christ returns to set up his kingdom, That blessed gospel of salvation will be colored by and accompanied by the promise of Christ's kingdom. It will be the gospel preached in light of the great event about to transpire, the coming of the king, the coming of the kingdom. So who will preach the gospel? Who will preach the gospel after the rapture? Who will preach the gospel after every Christian is removed from this earth? These are good questions. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. At the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-one to 52 Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. 1 Thessalonians four seventeen. Who will preach the gospel after all living saints will be taken out at the rapture to meet the Lord in the air before the tribulation starts? Who will preach the gospel at this point? Part of the answer is given to us in Revelation chapter 11, verses 3 to 6. God will have two witnesses who he will raise up to prophesy, that is to preach in the power of the Holy Spirit, for a thousand two hundred and threescore days or for three and a half years during the tribulation. Also, God will have 144,000 of all the tribes of Israel, described in Revelation chapter 7. These are the servants of our God, Revelation 7.3. We are told of them in in Revelation 12.11, that it will be announced they overcome him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto death. God will have many Jewish converts in the tribulation time winning souls and giving testimonies. And what of the results of this gospel preaching? Revelation 7, 9 and Revelation 7, 14 tell us a great multitude, which no man could number of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues. And what we are told, these are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. These are those who were saved in the tribulation. 
And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come, Matthew twenty four fourteen. Now let's look at the abomination and desolation, Matthew twenty four fifteen. When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand. The abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet is a reference to Daniel 9.27, Daniel 11.31, and Daniel 12.11. There is both a historic and prophetic reference here during the time of the Greek conquest of Israel under Antiochus, who calls himself Epiphanes. A pig was sacrificed upon the altar of the restored temple, among other blasphemous things, thus desecrating it as far as the Jews were concerned, making it desolate. 2 Thessalonians 2, 3-12 details how the Antichrist, during the tribulation at the midpoint, will declare to Israel and the world that he is the Christ and in fact is God. He therefore will seat himself in the rebuilt temple at Jerusalem as God. Revelation chapter 13, 14-15 speaks how that an image or an idol of the beast of the Antichrist will be made and possibly erected in the temple in Jerusalem. Next. Let's look at Jesus' warning to converted Jews in the tribulation. Look at verses 15 to 20. When he therefore shall see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in a holy place. Whoso readeth, let him understand. Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. And woe unto them that are with child, and to them that give suck in those days. But pray ye that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day. Jesus, in effect, sent warning ahead to the Jews who will be in Israel during this time in the tribulation, that when they see the signs of this new desecration of the temple, to head to the hills, literally, head to the hills. In fact, he said, do not linger, do not take anything with you, Clearly implied is that a rebuilt temple will be in Jerusalem during the tribulation. The events here will be at the midpoint of the tribulation when the Antichrist breaks his covenant with Israel and turns his wrath against those believing Jews who have turned to their Messiah, Jesus Christ, as their Savior. These Jews of that day, who seem to have turned at this point to Jesus, will have also turned to the New Testament as a source of truth and revelation. Jesus warned that when they saw the rebuilt temple desecrated as it were in Daniel's prophecy to flee immediately to the neighboring mountains for refuge, don't take time to take personal effects with you. Any type of delay may be the difference between life or death. The ferocity of those days will be unlike any other time in human history. It is at this point that the Antichrist turns his full fury, full hatred, and full power against those believing Jews. You see this coming? Head to the hills. Now let's look at the last three and a half years of the tribulation in verses 21 to 26. For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be, and except those days should be shortened, there should be no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake those days shall be shortened, and if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not. For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. 
Behold, I have told you before. The greater scope of the tribulation is a seven-year period stretching from the signing of the peace treaty between the Antichrist and Israel to the return of Christ in glory and power. However, Daniel and John in Revelation make it clear that the overall tribulation is divided into two distinct periods of three and one-half years each. The great tribulation spoken of here is a reference to the final three and one-half years, which will focus particularly on Israel and chastening them unto repentance and faith in Christ. During this final period of the tribulation, the Antichrist will focus his wrath against the Jews and the nation of Israel, culminating in the campaign of Armageddon in which all nations of the world will descend upon Israel to destroy her once and for all. Now, warning against false Christs and prophets. In verses 23 to 26, Jesus warned that in time there would be other false Christs and false prophets, including the notorious false prophet spoken of in Revelation 13. Amongst the more orthodox Jewish people to this day, there is interest in the appearance of the Jewish Messiah. Even today, some ultra-orthodox Jews at times have believed a particular modern rabbi could be the Messiah. During the tribulation, the Antichrist will arise along with his cohort, the false prophet, who will indeed present himself to Israel as their Messiah. Moreover, the false prophet described in Revelation 13 will have the ability to perform great signs and wonders. And he doeth great wonders, so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men, and deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth, that they should make an image to the beast which had the wound by a sword and did live, and he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed, Revelation 13, 13 to 15. Jesus warned that these would have the capability of deceiving even God's people, Matthew twenty four twenty six. Wherefore, they shall say unto you, Behold, he is in the desert, go not forth. Behold, he is in the secret chambers, believe it not. Finally, Jesus warned, when these false prophets in that day claim the Messiah is in the desert or in some secret place, Jesus forewarned Jewish believers to not believe it. In our next message, we'll begin by looking at verse 27 of Matthew chapter 24. In that verse, Jesus makes it clear, when he returns, no one will miss him. In fact, every eye will see him and know it is him. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him, even so, amen. Revelation 1, 7. So to wrap up this podcast today, we have just studied a glimpse of the tribulation given to us by our Lord in his Olivet Discourse. Emphasized in this glimpse of the tribulation has been the gospel message. Jesus wants all of us to be saved. Jesus wants all to be saved. He wants us to be raptured up to meet him in the air. He wants the gospel message taken all over the globe, all over our country, all over our state, all over our county, and all over Palm Coast, Florida. 
What are we doing to get the Lord's gospel message out to those in our community? Let's pray for the Lord to help us all do better in that regard. The gospel is the key. The gospel is the key. The gospel message is what man needs. Marvel not that I said unto thee, he must be born again. John 3, 7. We learned who will preach the gospel in the tribulation, but who will preach the gospel in our day and time? We learned in this podcast, in this message, who will preach the gospel in the tribulation, but who will preach or who will give out or who will tell others or who will share the gospel message in our day and time? Who will share the gospel in our day and time? Will you give out the gospel? Will you tell others the gospel? Will you pass out tracts? Will you invite others to church so they can hear the gospel? Will you tell others about the saving message of Jesus Christ? Will you be one of those in our day and time that gives out the gospel, tells people how to be saved, that tells people how they can possess eternal life, how they can personally possess eternal life. Will you be one of those? And if you're listening to this podcast and you are not saved, you are not sure you're on your way to heaven, you do not have a Bible reason to back up why you think you may be on your way to heaven, you Two, can have a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. First, you need to realize God loves you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. John 3.16 You need to realize everyone is a sinner. I am a sinner. You are a sinner. Realize everyone is a sinner. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, the Bible says in Romans three twenty three. To get saved, you need to realize sin has a price that must be paid. We have our sin is a debt, is a debt that has to be paid. And we cannot pay it because it has to be paid by a perfect sinless sacrifice. It has to be paid by the death of a perfect sinless man. And we definitely are not. We need to realize sin has a price that must be paid. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, Romans 6.23. We need to realize, in order to get saved, in order to possess eternal salvation, we need to realize Jesus Christ died and rose again to pay for your sin. Jesus Christ died and rose again to pay that sin debt that you could never pay. But God committed his love toward us, and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5, 8. And you just need to simply pray and ask Jesus Christ to be your Savior. Pray in your own words. Just let him know that that you realize that he loves you. You realize that you are a sinner in desperate need of a Savior. You realize that you have a sin debt that must be paid, and you cannot pay that sin debt. You realize that Jesus Christ, God's Son, died, and he was buried, and he rose again the third day to pay for your sin. And just ask him to save you. Ask him for that eternal salvation. 
Pray and ask Jesus Christ to be your Savior. Pray with faith, for we are saved by faith, not by works. We are saved by faith, not by anything you do, not by any tradition you keep, not by going to church. We are saved only by faith in the precious shed blood and death of Jesus Christ on the cross. Pray and ask Jesus Christ to be your Savior, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Romans 10, 9. And if you have accepted the Lord Jesus as your Savior, please visit our website, newbeginningbaptist.church, and just find the link there, find the place where you can send a message to us, and please let us know. And we'd love to follow up with you on that decision, and praise the Lord, and, and, and just enjoy praising the Lord and and talking to you about that decision you made. I invite you, if you're not 100% sure you're saved, uh, to to maybe go back and listen to what I just went over. And I invite you and encourage you to accept the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. And again, if you're in the Palm Coast area and you do not have a good Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church that puts Christ first, that puts Christ as the head of the church, Christ we, we glorify Christ, we make much of Christ and his gospel and his precious, precious holy word. I invite you to come and join us at New Beginning Baptist Church. 